0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Go Go ahead and have a seat. Boy, what a wonderful, wonderful morning. What are you laughing at you? You like my cardigan? Yeah, there's something greatly unfair about life. When Kevin wears a cardigan, he looks cool. I just look old. (laughs) What's up with that? Anyway, hey, it's the last in our series of Won't You Be My Neighbor? So now you've got a visual image you won't ever forget about being our neighbor. And uh, so I want to welcome you this morning. My name is Ron, and if I uh, didn't get a chance to meet you on the way in, uh, I would love to do that uh, before you leave. And for those of you who are here all the time, uh, you you sort of know the, the drill and, and where I'll be, but uh, for those of you who are new, I'll be out in the lobby, and uh, I'm, I'm very serious when I say I would love to meet you before you go. Um, this is a place where we encounter God, right? Right? Right. right. And we've come to encounter Him this morning. And what I'm going to talk to you about this morning comes from deep within my heart and my soul. It is. It actually was birthed in me when I was a, a little 13-year-old junior hire sitting on a church pew back in rural Iowa, and God began to birth a vision in me that day as I read about the church in the Bible, and I saw that that was a church that people were excited to go to. I saw that was a church where people's lives changed radically, and I saw that that was a church... That made an impact in its community. And I remember as a 13 year old kid bowing my head. I don't know what the pastor was talking about this morning. I just happened to be reading in the book of Acts. I remember bowing my head and saying, God, someday I want to be part of a church like that. And um, I hope and pray that that's your experience here today. That this is a place that you would love to come to because it's a place where you would find that your life changes. And it would be a place that has an impact in our community for Jesus. So I want to ask you to, um, I know you just sat down, but I want to ask you to stand up one more time. And uh, I want to pray a pastoral prayer over us. So would you join with me in that? Father, that is our prayer. We have come to encounter you this morning. We've come to meet with you. We've come to open our hearts to you. We've come to say, speak into our lives truths that will transform us and truths that will bring victory where there's bondage in our lives today and truths that will bring uh, forgiveness where there's guilt, truths that will bring hope where there's despair. Lord, more than anything, we, we just want to act like your sons and daughters because in Christ, that's what we are. Would you help us as a church in every way to live up to the great calling that you have given to us? I pray for those of us who are in leadership that we would hear clearly from you and that we would be able to clearly communicate what you have said to us. I pray for every individual Christian in our family of faith that they also could individually hear from you about their own heart, their own life, their family, their workplace. Would you give us ears to hear and hearts to have a great desire to move forward regardless of the faith that's required, that we might experience this great life that you have called us to. I pray it in Jesus' name. All of us said, amen, amen. amen. God bless you. You may be seated. First Timothy 6.12 says, that we are to take hold of the eternal life to which we have been called. And this morning, we're going to talk about a key component in the taking hold of that life. I want to talk to you about the power of a trigger event. And a trigger event has a, several components to it, a trigger event begins with a simple invitation. You can write this down in the margin of your notes somewhere on the teaching notes inside your program. It's a simple invitation. The second key part of a trigger event is that invitation is given during a time of openness. And the third part is it leads to great life change. Friends, you and I experience a whole series of trigger events throughout the entirety of our lives, and everyone around us does as well. These are the things that actually move and motivate us toward life change, and they can either be for good or for bad. Think about how many teenagers received a simple invitation during a time of openness at a party to drink alcohol while they were underage. And what happened? It led to significant life change. Think about how many teenagers during a time of vulnerability and openness were invited to take that first drag on a marijuana cigarette and forever changed their life. Some of them never got back again. It was their gateway into a life that would of destruction and, and just terribleness. But the same power of a trigger invitation is available to us if we will take advantage of it to help people find their way to Christ. And what you might not realize, what I might not realize is all around us, there are people that God has been working in their lives and they, and they now are ready for a simple invitation because their hearts are open. At the end, I'm going to give you some statistics of hope and some things that we can look at that will verify that. But before we get into that, let's take a look in our Bibles, and let's see this in real life. And we're going, to, we're going to learn this morning from the story of a fellow by the name of Matthew. He wrote the first book in the New Testament. It's the story of Jesus' life, commonly called the Gospel of Matthew. And we're going to see that trigger event take place in his life. And then we're going to turn around and see it take place at a second level. So here in Matthew chapter 9, verse number 9, it says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Here's the simple invitation. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. How many of you think there might be a little bit more to that story than what we have written there? Yeah, Jesus was not into casting spells over people. Something had been going on in Matthew's life that was getting him open to that invitation. Now, I have to say something about the tax collector's booth. For you and for me, people that work for the IRS, that's an occupation for them. In the Jewish nation, that was not an occupation. That was a lifestyle. And it was a terrible lifestyle. And I won't get into all of the reasons why it was a terrible lifestyle, but let's just put it this way. In order to be a tax collector, you had to be a traitor to your nation you had to be immoral, you had to be unethical, and therefore you became a social outcast. And, and to the Jews, tax collectors, they would say, tax, collect- tax collectors, prostitutes, and murderers, all the same. So this is not a guy that you would think is a likely candidate to be ready to follow Jesus. And yet the truth is, something was happening behind the scenes in Matthew's heart and in Matthew's life, and God was preparing him for a simple invitation. By the way, the invitation that Jesus gave him, was it real complicated? Did he give him four theological points why he should be his disciple? No. He gave him a simple invitation. Wow. And it worked. Because what does the verse say? So Matthew got up and what? Followed him. And we might think that's the end of the story, but it's not the end of the story. Take a look at what happens next here in Matthew chapter 9, verse 10. reads like this. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. And along with many tax collectors and other, what's the last two words? Disreputable sinners. Man, does that sound like a party you'd love to go to? Jesus and 12 holy guys and a bunch of disreputable sinners. I wish, I wish so much that we could get that picture in our heads. Not not the humor of it, but how that reflects Christ's heart. This is pretty cool stuff. I'm going to break it out a little bit for us in just a minute. But for right now, what I want you to see is Matthew has experienced a trigger event in his life. He got up that morning, he went to his tax booth, and he was just going to collect taxes from people who were out there fishing on the lake. They caught fish. They were going to bring the fish into Capernaum, where they were going to sell them, and Matthew was going to collect a tax on the fish on the way by. That's what he was empowered by the Roman government to do. And Matthew goes to his tax collector's booth that morning, and there's a stir in the crowd because Jesus is there. Wherever Jesus went, there was sort of this buzz that went ahead of him. Something's been happening in Matthew's life. Evidently, Matthew has heard Jesus talk and teach. And there's something on the inside of Matthew that's beginning to resonate with Jesus. And he begins to openly question in his mind if perhaps Jesus might be teaching the truth. And then he begins to look at his life and recognizes that if that's the truth, it has huge implications about his life. And for the first time, Matthew is open to being something besides a tax collector and a disreputable sinner himself. But there's a little fear in Matthew too. Because if you're a disreputable sinner and Jesus comes walking by, you, you have mixed feelings, correct? Of course. Jesus comes walking by and he stops walks right up to Matthew's tax collector booth, looks him in the eye, and gives him an invitation. And it's one Matthew can't refuse. Well, he could, but he chooses not to. In spite of knowing he's walking away from the only occupation and lifestyle he's ever known, Matthew is ready for something else. And he just leaves it all right there. Says, I guess the Romans can come and get it if they want it. And he turns and he follows Jesus, And it's not too long after that that Matthew's looking at all of his friends and guess what they're still doing? They're still going to their tax collector booths. They're still cheating people. They're still lying to people. They're still swindling people. They're still hanging out with the prostitutes and the disreputable people because they're the only people that will befriend them. And Matthew looks at his friends and then Matthew compares the life that he's now found in Jesus with the life that he used to live. And he looks at his friends and he says, Man, I wish they could have what I have. So he says, Wonder what I could do about that. And he reflects back to that day when Jesus gave him a simple, simple invitation and he thinks, How could I get my people together with Jesus? So. He decides to invite Jesus and his people to the same place. And the only place he knows that he has control over is his own house, right? So he invites him to his house. You know what Matthew's doing? Listen to this. Matthew's looking for a trigger event for his friends. You know, I have a question for you and for me. Do we love the people in our world enough that we search for a trigger event for them. I think Jesus would want us to. So how is this going to work out? You get Jesus and his 12 followers coming to a house filled with disreputable sinners. Take a look. There's always other people watching. And here's what happened. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat With such scum. Wonder how they really felt about it. Isn't that interesting? Wow. When Jesus heard this, you know, I think it would be it would have been interesting to be in that room. Because you notice the Pharisees didn't ask Jesus. I think they had learned by this time, you don't want to stay away from him. Because he always has an answer. Right? These other twelve guys, they're not nearly so sharp. So they go to the 12 and they say, why does your, why does your teacher eat with such scum? And you notice <clears throat> there's no answer there because I can just see Peter, Andrew, James, and John and the rest of the gang going, I don't know. That's not who we would choose to hang out with. But, you know, we're just with him. We got invited, I, I, you know. And, and here, notice what Jesus says. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And then he throws it down. I love this part. Jesus, then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. And now here's where Jesus outlines the central reason he left heaven and came to earth. I came to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. It's interesting thing here. Here's Matthew. He's got this wonderful new life in Jesus. He's thrilled and excited about it. You couldn't pay him all the money in the world to go back and be a tax collector and live the way he used to live because he's now learned the proper way to live and he's learning more about it every day and it's more exciting every day and he looks at his friends and he thinks, Oh man, I wish my friends could have what I have. How can I get them together with Jesus And finally, he decides, I'm going to invite them to my house. I have a question. Why didn't he invite them to the local synagogue? want you to hear this. Because the one place that those people needed to go most was the place where they were least welcome. Did you get that? Wow. You know... As I was working through this, I just said, you know, can we band together to say that as long as God allows new life to be a church, that this will be a place where disreputable sinners, people who have really messed up in life, where they can come and be loved and be cared for and be nurtured and be taught a new way to live. Can we band together and say, that's what this church will always be? Amen. This has to be a place where everyone can feel welcomed. Yeah. So Matthew took them to his house because he knew they'd be welcomed there. The Pharisees are watching. Can I tell you something else? It's the tendency of all of us, when we become Christians, to just start hanging out with Christians. You know the problem with that? The more we hang out with Christians only, the more we are like the Pharisees and the less we are like Matthew. Jesus never intended for the church to be a sort of spiritual fortress that all the Christians would run into and hide so they wouldn't be polluted by all those pagan people out there. He called us to be Salt. And that means we're to be out there in the real meat of the world. He called us to be light. We're to be out in the midst of our world. We're to be mixing it up with the worst of sinners. He called us to be leaven, that's yeast, and to be in the dough, which is the world. And one of the great challenges that you and I have and great privileges and great opportunities is to spot the Matthews in our world who might be sitting at a tax collector's booth, but they're ready for an invitation if someone would just give it to them. We're going to talk about that, how we can deliver a simple invitation and, and how Christ can use us so that we can actually be neighbors to those that we work with and those who are in our neighborhood. So... I want to talk with you. Let me uh, write a few things down. There are four stages that all of us go through in, in making our journey to God. And, and the, the first sort of mile marker, and if, if you would think of this sort of as a football field, and you've got these yard lines, and I know that's not nearly enough of them, but anyhow, you got the idea. Some people that we walk that that we walk into their world or they walk into our world, you know, may, may be over here. And some of them may be over here. Our job as, as a Christian, as a representative of Christ, is as people come into our world to, to, to behave around them in such a way that we are an influence in that moves them toward Christ, who's down here. Everybody on board with that so far? So, now here's, here's sort of the progression that happens. People move from a place of distrust in Christians to trust. That has to happen before anyone will accept Christ. The truth is, many people in the world have a natural distrust of Christians. Am I right about that? This is Sonoma County, okay, and Marin County. We have one of the highest levels of distrust of Christians of any place in our country. So many people that we run into are going to start here, okay? By the way, is this person ready for a simple invitation that will change his life? Probably not, okay? They're going to have to make a little journey. They're going to have to move from a place of distrust to trust. That means instead of being in the church building all the time, hanging out with Christians, going to Christian parties, that this person is going to have to run into a Christian somewhere else because this person is not going to go to a Christian party. This person is probably not even going to go to church. But they sure need a Christian to begin to live around them in such a way that they begin to feel like, well, these Christians are not all weird and stupid, right? Or odd, or judgmental, or angry, or condemning. That actually these Christian people are pretty nice, and they'll move from a place of distrust to a place of trust. And very soon that'll give, that, that will lead them from spiritual apathy to curiosity. Kevin talked about that the last two weeks now that just, by just living the christian life and being a christian around other people and being a kind thoughtful generous loving caring helpful individual that people will begin to be curious about what makes us that way and it's true they'll move from a place of distrust to beginning to trust and then that will give birth that will begin to address the spiritual apathy that they have to a place of spiritual curiosity then that will lead them to a place of being open to change. By the way, these had all taken place in Matthew's life before Jesus walked up to him that day. But Matthew was a place where he was ready to change. He was moving along. Matthew was up in here. Or maybe he was further along than that. Nobody knew it, really, except Jesus knew it. Because Matthew still looked on the outside like Matthew had always looked on the outside, but he was changing on the inside. And then last of all, this is where the invitation that's given is powerful. If you go to this person who doesn't trust Christians and you say to him, you know, April the 8th is Easter, why don't you come and go to church with me? This person will go, why would I want to do that? Right, and they'll have a thousand reasons. But if you've built a relationship with them, and if they're moving along this continuum when they get here, and you say, hey, are you going to go to church anywhere this Easter? And they go, you know, I was thinking about that. I, ha- I haven't usually in the past, but I was thinking about it this year. Well, why don't you come with me? Wow. Simple invitation during a time of openness that leads to significant life change and When that invitation is correctly given, it moves the person to a position of seeking after God. That's where Matthew was. He was ready to seek after God, which is why when Jesus said, why don't you come and follow me, he got on board. Now, let's talk about what that can look like in our lives, and we're going to talk about how to do it, okay? Okay. We'll give you four, four the categories because when you and I go out to live in our world and we're going to go out to influence people for Christ, we're going to run into four kinds of people. First kind of people we're going to run into are the church people. Okay? Leave them alone. Did you hear me? Leave them alone. There's no reason to invite someone who's going regularly to church and connecting with God to say to them, why don't you come to our church and connect better? Okay? Jesus wouldn't give that invitation, so let's not give that invitation. Bless them and, 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 and that they're connecting with God. Then there's another group of people that you're going to run into, and those are the anti-church people. These are the people who have run into who knows what. But the bottom line is they're like, are you kidding? I, I hate Christians. I don't like church. I wouldn't go there. It's whatever. Those are anti-church people. They're not ready for the invitation. Bless them, but you don't have to invite them. There's two other groups of people, though, that are really interesting uh, groups of people. And and the next is the non-churched people. These are people who have no church background. They're sort of church neutral. They haven't been part of a church. They don't know much about a church. They may have been into a church a few times for weddings or funerals. But other than that, they don't know anything about church. They're sort of just a blank and open slate. Okay, They may be ready for a simple invitation. And then you have a group of people out there called the de-churched. And the de-churched people are people who have been part of a church, but for whatever reason right now, they're not going. Believe it or not, a, num- a large number of these people simply moved and never reconnected with the church. It was too much trouble to go find a new church. They tried one or two, didn't really seem to fit, and somehow they just fell out of the habit of going to church. I want to give you some statistics. By the way, these two groups of people are the two groups of people that are ready and open for change oftentimes. Did you know that of all the people in the United States who claim to be Christians, do you have any idea what percentage of them actually go to church regularly? This is going to shock you. 20%. All the people, that means 80% of the people in your world and my world who claim to be Christians have some level of openness to church. They claim to be Christians. They're just not connected with the church. These are people sitting in their local tax collecting booth waiting for an invitation. You know how I know that? Because in a recent survey that was done, did you know that 41% of those people, that's approaching half, 41% of those people said I would return to church on a regular basis, listen to this, if someone I knew invited me. Wow. To me, that's a statistic of hope. That means if I just get out and get to know some people, I'm going to invite some people to church and they're going to come because they're just waiting for an invitation. But they're waiting for an invitation not from a stranger, but from whom? Someone they know, right. By the way, those of you who are 18 to 35, you know what that figure is? It's not 41%, it's 60%. 60% of the people in our culture, 18 to 35, who claim to be Christians, who were part of a church at one time, said, if someone I knew simply invited me to church, I would not just go to church with them, I would return to church, make it part of my life. So here's our challenge. Here's what we're going to do as a church between now and Easter. All right? And this is where we get to the application points. Take a look at the screen. It's coming. There we are. I will sponsor a neighborhood open house on the weekend of March 16th through 18th. Now, that's a month from now. And we have some invitations that we have professionally designed that we will be happy to forward to you so that you can put in your own information. Why an open house? Where did Matthew invite his friends? Anybody? Where? His house. There's something very unintimidating, non-intimidating about your house. By the way, are you inviting these people to your house so you can lay on them a 50-pound reference Bible and beat them to church. No. You may not even invite them to church at your open house. You're inviting them to your house because you want them to know that you care. And by the way, you have to care or the open house doesn't work. Hello? By the way, it would be our intent that this wouldn't be a single open house, but it would be the beginning of a series of ongoing open houses so that you can turn your neighborhood into a neighborhood. Does that make sense? And begin to pull people together in relationship. So that's that's the first thing. We want to come alongside you, give you all the help that that we can give you, assist you in that. We'll pray with you in that. We will get these invitations to you. You can even come to the church building and you can use our copy machine and you can print them out in color. You can do all that stuff. We will do everything we can so that you can throw a party, an open house, at your house to see if there's anybody in your neighborhood even now that's open. But if not, you can begin moving them along from where they are to closer to Christ. Second thing that is going to have to happen with this is I will identify 12 non-church or de-churched people in my world and pray for trigger events to happen in their lives. You might not be the one that gets to give the invitation. But you know, if here's my buddy... And my buddy is walking through life, and I'm praying for him, and I'm praying for him, and I'm praying that God will bring some sort of trigger event in his life because I want him to find in Jesus what I've found. I want him to find at New Life what I've found at New Life. And guess what? Some other friend gives him the invitation, and he comes. Am I okay with that? Yeah. I just want him to get it. Right time, right place. Third thing is this. I will ask God to deliver a trigger event invitation through me between now and Easter. This means that for the next month and a half, Easter is about six or seven weeks away, that you and I are just going to pray, God, give me one person in my life, in my world that you've been working in, and they're open to some degree, and they're ready. And if I give them a simple invitation to come to church with me on Easter, they will come. We can all do that, right? Yeah, that's how Jesus did it with Matthew. That's how Matthew did it with his friends. And that's the, that's the way, by the way, for 2,000 years that the church of Jesus Christ has done its work. It's just by people caring about those around them and people wanting those around them to find what they have found in Jesus. Now, Before I pray, did I I say anything that would make you guilt your neighbor into coming to church? This is not about guilt. This is about love. This is about caring. This is about just saying, God, use me so that others can receive a simple invitation from me that would bring them into your presence where they could be forever changed. So on on the back of your Start Here card, your Connect card, there's a place for you to respond. I'm going to pray, give you the opportunity to respond, then I'm going to turn it over to Kevin. But I'm going to pray that God will do. I, I get the sense that some of us in the audience are scared. Are you scared? You don't know. You're too scared to say that you're scared. I don't want you to be scared. I just want you to love on some people. And when the time is right, You'll know. Simple invitation. Let's pray. Father, would you give us grace to respond? Thank you, first of all, for those who were spiritually aware enough that when we were open, they gave us a simple invitation and we came. And our lives have been forever changed. Lord, would you give us grace to walk in that same pathway so that you might use us as those people to give simple invitations. Hey, come and check it out. Check out what Christ could do in your life, what he's done in mine. Thank you, Lord, for coming so that the worst of us could be transformed into your sons and daughters. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.